Well, good morning. Um, I am excited to be able to be with you again this morning. And uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how every time I prepare a message, I feel like, all right, God, you're, you're again mostly doing this because you want me to learn something. <laughs> and not, not that I have anything that would be of any super uh, amazing uh, uh, knowledge to pass on. But in the same way, like all of us are called to interact with God where we're at, right? And not where we want to be or where we're hoping maybe down the road we'll be at. And so uh, even today as we kind of enter back in to uh, what I covered last time, many of you who uh, heard me speak last time, I spoke mostly about the life of Moses and the life of Israel and, and really their, their challenge. Uh, God had put them in a challenging situation. Their people were being genocided and uh, they were in a difficult situation. We remember what happened with Moses, and Moses, in a sense, went into, went into exile in a foreign land. And it seemed like a pretty dark situation uh, for God's people in that era. Well, I'm going to review that in a little bit, but I want to start off, in a sense, with this idea that comes up in Moses' life that comes up again and again in my life, and that's the whole idea of a crisis of faith. Um, I remember when I was, I was just out of college, I was kind of just trying to figure out, Lord, what in the world do you want me to do with my life? And uh, studied through a material called Experiencing God by a man named Henry Blackaby, who I mentioned actually last time I spoke. And he talks about how when Moses met God in this burning bush moment, which we're going to look at today, he had a crisis of faith. Moses had been in the desert for 40 years at that point, and God brought him to a point of realization that I cannot do anything. I am really at an end of myself. And more often than I like, God brings me to that same moment. I didn't think he'd bring it to me so many times in my life, like again and again and again. Every day it seems like there's a new crisis of faith that we face if we're really honest with ourselves. And so even today we're going to look at that. Uh, I wanted to, again, tie this back into kind of modern culture a little bit. Let, let's look at kind of the, the um, fascination we have with crisis. Because if you look at the news, what usually paints the headlines? Crisis. What shows and movies are usually the most popular? One's about crisis. Crisis kind of is what human hearts are drawn to. We're constantly thinking, oh, this is a crisis, that's a crisis. This is what engages the human hearts in an intense struggle for. Why are we here? What is life about? What in the world do we do with what we've been given? And one of my favorite shows that I'm actually watching right now is called Designated Survivors. Anybody seen that one? Some, some people, really, this story is an immense crisis. There's a situation that happens in this fictional America where a terrorist attack has destroyed the Pentagon, has killed the president, the vice president, and the vast majority of the cabinet. Now, there's a few people in art there, and one of them, it's not the Secretary of State, it's not the Secretary of Defense, it's the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. And he's off somewhere else, and he hears of this disaster. He's like, oh, my goodness. And he gets the call, you're going to be the president. Okay. <laughs> so the guy, is played by the guy, his name is Tom Kirkman, is played by Keith Sutherland, by the way, in another Crisis series, 24, another one I'd recommend. Um, this character is way beyond his means. He is not this charismatic character who's got everything figured out, is a strong leader. He's this guy who's just actually recently come into his Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development role and he wonders, what in the world have I gotten myself into? This crisis is, in his sense, is threatening the entire Western world, a terrorist attack. And he is called to step into something way beyond anything he's politically experienced, way beyond anything he's 
personally experienced into a situation that is way beyond him. Now, um, I'm not sure the crisis in your life, there's many different crises that we can face. Maybe it's living in China itself is a crisis. I was telling some people at breakfast with the men, yeah, yesterday I had one of those crazy things happen where guys were like hanging at my window trying to fix an air conditioner. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> Just being sometimes in China for me in another culture is hard. Uh, it has crisis of its own. Maybe there's a work crisis. Maybe there's a school crisis. Maybe there's crisis in your, your personal family uh, back in America or whatever country you're from, back in your uh, hometown if you're here from here in China. Or maybe it's your own personal life. Uh, your marriage with your kids, there's crisis. It seems like every day there, there can be a crisis, right? Well, the great thing for people of faith, those of us who, in a sense, have trusted in God, that this crisis is not beyond God. And that's what we're going to look at today. Our crisis and God have great interaction. The problem is crisis brings out really, honestly, the heart of why we struggle as human beings we're dependent on ourselves to try to figure it out. Well, that's really what it comes down to for me. A lot of times when I bump up against a crisis, why am I not at peace? Why do I not have joy? Oh, Josh, you got to try to figure this out again. <laughs> Josh, you, Josh, you don't have the answers. Once more, once more, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> that, that's what it brings out on me. I don't know what it brings out on you. But a lot of times I feel like, oh, God, I'm at the end of myself again. Like, how many times? It's like five times this week at least that I've come to the end of myself. And there is great encouragement, I think, even as we look at Moses' struggle today that we're going to look at, and even if we look at our everyday struggles, there is great encouragement at coming to the end of ourself. And coming to it again and again and again is not a bad thing. It's actually a wonderful thing. That God puts us through and lets us experience a crisis of faith is actually an incredibly loving thing. Because he knows that life is not fully lived unless it's dependent on him. Life is not fully joyful. Life is not fully peaceful. Life is not fully amazingly impactful unless we come to the end of ourselves. So today we're going to look at Exodus 3. Uh, I'll give the next slide. I'll give a quick review because for me, every time I teach, I, I want it to be a sense that God is teaching us out of the Bible, not, not me just passing forward things. Just a quick review of where we're at. As you remember, uh, there's three different lenses you look through to kind of interpret the Bible. The first thing is you look what happened historically at the time this, this book was written, the book of Exodus was written. Well, the first thing is the ancient Near Middle East. Uh, there's a lot of different countries. Uh, some of you remember, some of you don't. There's lots of different people groups. Uh, there's the big political nation of Egypt is the kind of the major power at the time. They've got the pharaohs. They've got the big old pyramids. They've got a standing army. They've got the trade routes mostly controlled at that point. They're incredibly affluential, and they also have a lot of different gods, and they're very idolatrous and pretty oppressive and wicked in general. So we, we, we see Egypt as this great, great kingdom, but really there's a lot of bad things going on there as well. Second off, our second lens is the biblical lens. Um, how did Israel get there in the first place? Well, actually, there was a fight amongst the brothers of Israel, and one of them was sold as a slave into Egypt. And God, because he loves his people, actually helped this brother rise to power, second only to Pharaoh, in Egypt. And he became a person of influence. And through that, Israel came safely to the land of Egypt, and they were preserved and even blessed. But then we see in Exodus chapter 1, as we kind of move into the book context, because we have to look at the book context, because it helps us understand again, what were the original readers thinking? 
Like when we think of things from our perspective, we're, we're, dis, we're dis, disengaged from their world. We have to get engaged in their world. We have to see what was it like for them. When they were facing this challenge, what was it like for them? These people, what were they thinking? The first people that heard this story, as we know these were oral stories that Moses collected and then eventually wrote down, these people, what did they experience? And what was Moses experiencing personally? We have to get there. And then our hearts are engaged. Then we're like, oh, that's what it meant to them. That's what it could mean to me. And so Exodus 1, Israel, their, the great hero Joseph is off the scene. The, the Pharaoh who favored them is off the scene. And they, the Egyptians start seeing the Israelites are thriving. They're doing well because the Egyptians had sold themselves to Pharaoh during the famine. The Israelites did not have to sell themselves. They were, they were doing well. Everybody else, the Egyptians were like, hey, why are we struggling? This, this stinks. We're going we're gonna to get those guys because they're the problem. Not only did Pharaoh and his officials get them, the people themselves genocided their children. The baby boy was born, chucked in the river. Usually the Nile because the Nile was actually one of the gods they worshipped which we'll talk about later. This is an incredible genocide, and Moses was born into this. But the great thing is God is behind the scenes. He raises up these midwives to save some of the Hebrew boys, and they were blessed by God as a result. He raises up Moses' parents, God-fearers, who are ready to take a chance and, and keep their son hidden. And eventually they had to put him in the Nile as well. But God raised Moses out of the water. He brought him out of the water and put him in the house of Pharaoh, where he became basically like a son of Pharaoh. And it looks like things are going to go well for God's people. But as we talked about last time, Moses took things into his own hands, as often we do. And things started going south. God did not leave Moses completely alone as he ran into exile, but God came to him, led him experience, in a sense, the blessing of being married, the blessing of a great father-in-law, and he, in a sense, was being restored. But when we hit Exodus chapter 3, actually between 2 and 3, we lose about 40 years. So I want you to turn to Exodus 3, if you have your Bible, or turn to it on your phone, because we're going to read through that a bit today, and I'm hoping and praying that we'll see, in a sense, Moses' interaction with God. This is a pinnacle moment, honestly, in history. Um, this will help us see um, how, in a sense, we can respond to God in our crisis of faith. So let me pray for us. Let me ask that God would just use this, even as you're turning, let me pray for us, and then I'll ask you to stand when we read the word. Uh, Father, I, I thank you so much that you are sovereignly involved in our lives. There's nothing in our lives that you're not in control of. <laughs> Lord, we, uh, we, we just don't always know why exactly you're allowing what things to happen that you allow to happen. We ask that through this, um, time today as we look at your word, that you would use it uh, for our greater joy in you. As we, we want to know you better, Lord, but there's so many things that can hold us back. Pray even as we read your word, you help us see the things that Moses struggled with, and we would know the things we struggle with in the same way. It's the same God that dealt with him is the same God that deals with us, and you would bring us through to a new uh, crisis of faith that we've seen you show up in, Lord. Thank you. Please use this time. Use your spirit through your word uh, as we interact with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, stand, if you could stand for the, I'm just going to read Exodus 3, 1 to 12. I'm actually going to read a lot of passages today. I just want God's word to clearly speak to all of us today and, and how he would have us read. But I'll read this first section, uh, 3, 1 to 12, and then you may sit after that. 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the Mount of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw, he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them into, uh, out of the land and into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You may be seated. So, first, I just want to look at this first passage, and it, it's, uh, it's that we see a number of different points in this passage. I'm not sure if that point will come up there so everybody can see it, but uh, I'll say it if it doesn't. Uh, that God calls to us in crisis. God calls to us in crisis. I guess in the previous slide, you can go back to the previous slide. It's not up there, but God calls to us in crisis. For some reason, that got blanked out. Um, Moses is in a unique situation here. We, we have to think back to kind of what was going on, in, again, that time in history. Previous to Moses, how many times had God appeared to people? Adam and Eve were in the garden. We had the Tower of Babel. We had Abraham. That was the first one you can really say, oh, God spoke personally to Abraham, right? We know that later on there was Isaac, there was Jacob. Jacob had some specific encounters with God. And then Joseph had these dreams in Egypt. But really up until that point, there wasn't a lot of that. We kind of interpret it from our era sometimes, right? Everybody can know God personally. That's, you know, what we talk about. We preach here on Sunday, right? We're talking about our everyday life. We can know God personally. But at this time, this was This is huge. The people who heard the story would have been like, wow, he saw God? There was a burning bush? This is amazing. This is amazing. In fact, this is actually a specific uh, genre of writing in the Old Testament called a theophany. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, it's, it's basically God and man having an interaction, or human having an interaction about uh, what God is like and what God's plan is in the world. And this person is kind of responding to them. So this is actually one of those type dialogues. The whole passage, why I, why I brought it up to 418 by the end, I'll cover a little bit of it fast. But this interaction is kind of typical of a pinnacle moment. And so let's look at this pinnacle moment. Look at, I want to look at a specific thing. Uh, first off, that first verse where it talks, where God talks to Moses and he says, Moses, Moses. Now, whenever I interpret it, I'm like, okay, he didn't get Moses' attention, so he had to say his name twice. Hey, Moses, Moses, over here. But as I study this a little bit, it's actually Moses, Moses. When someone said your name twice in Hebrew culture, it, it's a term of, I know you. 
I love you. I, I know fully who you are. I knew everything that's ever happened in your life, Moses. And I love you. Wow, that, that puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? And then if you bring it to the next thing I sense that God says to him, he says, don't take your sandals off your feet for the place you're standing on is holy ground. It's holy ground. So these are the things we see a lot of times in scripture, right? God is holy. God is perfect. He's pure. He's completely set apart from anybody else in the universe. And then he's also loving. These two amazing, what seems like uh, totally different things, but yet they're, they're in this one God. This is, it's, it's just, it's priceless to see it um, in, in a passage so clearly like this. And, and then Moses and his reaction to that, I think, is priceless as well. Moses hit his face. I, I think I'd do the same thing. If I saw God in a burning bush, I don't know about you, but I'd probably be pretty freaked out. Like, if I was walking through my backyard, boom, burning bush. Whoa, time out. This, this is a little dangerous. One that is not burning. Okay, this is strange. You know, I'm not sure how you'd react to that. You'd probably say, call the fire department. Maybe you get, maybe if you're brave, you get a fire extinguisher and <laughs> put it out. But <laughs> um, anyway, this, this interaction was, was amazing. He hit his face because basically, again, in Hebrew culture, in ancient Near Middle East culture, if you saw God, you could possibly die. Uh, he was scared. And then I also think there's some other things behind the scenes. Uh, when I preached last time and talked again about Exodus 2 as we reviewed today, Moses had a past. Uh, we all have a past. We all even have a present that's not quite figured out, right? And Moses had stayed in the desert for 40 years. There's, there's a reason he was probably still out there for 40 years. He finally got a little bit west. I guess, you know, west is west this way. Um, he, he had come to the Mount of God, Horeb, and I'm not sure what was running through his mind. So I kind of looked at it and studied there's at least a couple things going through this mind. One is, what in the world are you thinking, God? Okay, time out. Do you remember what I'm doing for profession? I'm a shepherd. Shepherd. Egypt, Pharaoh, pyramids, lots of armies. They control the trade routes. Okay, time out. You're calling me to go? No, 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 no. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand here. <laughs> I, I, this doesn't seem like it's very plausible to me that you would call me to do such a thing. That, that's number one. And minimum number two, there's a sense of, oh, man, Lord, why do you think I've probably been here for 40 years? I'm broken up. I, I did this. I killed a person. I, I betrayed the trust of my people. My people don't even trust me. They pretty much ran me out of there. They didn't want to accept my leadership. Why? Now, there's probably other things going through his head at that time. I, I know for me, whenever God, in a sense, puts a crisis of faith in my life, I, I think similar thoughts. Lord, no way. That's way beyond me. I couldn't do that thing. I, I can't even work out this little thing in my life. Why would you call me to something else? Maybe, but it, maybe it is that little thing that is a big thing. <laughs> you know? There's, there's little crises of faith, and there's also larger ones. But really, what God is calling us to a lot of times, it is beyond us. We're not capable. And that's exactly where he wants us to be. I'm incapable. I, I, a lot of us, I know, have a sense of, hey, I can do this. You know, that's why you're able to brave something like going to another country and doing life. Because there's a certain sense of, yeah, I, I, I'm courageous. I can do this. But there's also a certain sense of, wow, 
we can become dependent on ourselves. And until a crisis, we don't realize actually we need God desperately. We need him every moment of every day to lead our life. I need crisis. I need it to see, hey, wow, I, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm full of lots of problems. I do lots of things that I don't want to do sometimes. And there's still, still things in me that aren't quite worked out. And secondly, the things you call me to, God, are way beyond the faith I have right now. And so Moses is at that point as he's kind of looking at this burning bush. But the great thing is God, as we look at verse 10 again, let's move forward here. God, first off, called him to know him. Uh, go down to the next slide. Go, called him to know him, and then he called him to his mission. And the two often come together in Scripture, don't they? A lot of times, I think in the modern era, we kind of say, oh, God can't, called you to know him personally. Oh, why don't you know God personally? Because we really want people to know God personally, right? But every time that call comes, it's actually the same time we're called to his mission. The same time. I think of Jesus calling the disciples by the sea. Come, I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, right away. He didn't say, hey, come and believe in me. He said, come, I'll make you fishers of men. He was pretty quick on that one. They're not all that direct. But obviously, like a father uh, in, in old times especially, when a father had a profession, he invited his son to join his profession. Having a relationship with a father you almost automatically had the exact same role and mission as the Father. In the same way, the Father calls us to that relationship with Him. He loves us so much. He's not going to let us be in our little lives, our little plans, our little things. He wants so much more for us to experience intimacy with Him in this great mission. But we're often called in fear. When I step out, fear comes into my life. I, when I, the fear, I found out actually through the men's retreat, which is amazing, a number of you guys were in here. That was an awesome men's retreat, right? <laughs> I, I didn't want to go officially, honestly. There was a training I was supposed to help with, and a friend of mine took it on for me. Thanks, Aaron. Um, uh, I, I wanted to go to the training. I didn't want to go to the men's retreat. I'm like, oh, you know, I've already heard a lot of this stuff before. And, but really, God's like, I've got something to teach you. And I went, and all of these men, we were all just confessing sins, struggles. And really, honestly, what this guy James Craft shared is he came to an end of himself. He was broken. And I need to hear that message almost every day, probably multiple times a day. There's a fearful sense of, wow, I, I need to come to the end of myself. So the next thing that Osman comes in, and what came in with Moses is doubt. So let me, let me go down to the next point. And what we see in Moses' life is Moses was called out of his doubt. Next slide, please. Okay, so... Moses, I'm going to go through the interaction a little fast here. We haven't read this section, but I'll read it briefly. But so first off, Moses had said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's verse 11. So Moses was acting humbly. That's actually kind of in a lot of these interactions in the Old Testament. He was acting humbly. But really, Moses was still, I think, saying, Yeah, who am I? I'm not the one you're calling for it. But if you go down to verse 13, after God has told him, I'm, I, There's going to be a sign for you. You'll come and serve God on this mountain. In verse 13, he says, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of their fathers has sent me to you, and they ask him, What's your name? What shall I say to them? Well, why did Moses ask that question? Doesn't he know it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your father's God? Well, Israel had gotten wayward in Egypt. They, they'd gotten off into doing other things. And most say that they were probably worshiping some of the other gods around them. We always think of Israel, I, at least I think of Israel, as this pure and holy people that were suffering persecution. But really, until they got persecuted, they didn't get serious 
about the relationship with God. Isn't that how it often happens in our lives? Um, God loves his people, and God loved Moses. And Moses didn't exactly know who he was, so God said, okay, yeah, here's, a, here's who I am. I'll, sh- I'll share it with you, and he shared, you know, I'm, I am, I am, he says. What's that? That's kind of a, I am, I am. What does that mean? Um, well, God, in a sense, is saying, I am it. I was here before you guys were here. I'll be here until the end. I'm never going to leave. I'm eternal. I'm pre-existent. I'm completely self-sustaining. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And yes, I love you. He's this incredible creator God, the sustainer God, the, the one who's at work in the world. And this is amazing to think that he's revealing himself to Moses in this way. Actually, 13 through 15, he reveals the name Yahweh that's used throughout the Old Testament. And it's just an amazing, amazing name uh, that basically speaks of who God is. Because at this point, we didn't know a whole lot about God. And that's what they would have felt in that situation. So again, he tells Moses, I I know what's going on. Tell them I know what's going on. I promise I'll bring you out of this affliction. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, all those different ites. Um, And I'll bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. They'll listen to your voice. The elders will go, you'll go to the king of Egypt and tell him that the God of the Hebrews has met with us. We have to go out in a journey into the wilderness that we can sacrifice to our God. And then he tells him the king of Egypt. Like, do you find it interesting that he tells him everything is going to happen? I always find that interesting. He tells him everything that's going to happen step by step. Go up to the end here. I stretch my hand out and strike each of the wonders I will do. After that, I'll let you go. This is verse 20. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Each woman shall ask her neighbor, any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold, gold jewelry, for clothing. You'll put them on your sons and daughters, and you'll plunder the Egyptians. Okay, if God told me all that, do you think there'd be a lot of doubt in your head, maybe? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I think I'm actually, you know, have more figured out. I think possibly I'd still doubt. I mean, okay, I probably would be. Um, but Moses has told all of this, and then Moses asks his next question, which I think is more the, uh, as I put up there, who do you think you are? <laughs> kind of like Moses answered, behold, they'll not listen to me or my voice. They'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. I'm sure Moses was hearkening back to when he tried to help the Israelites before, 40 years ago. Who do you think you are, is what the Israelites said to him, the two that were fighting, that Moses tried to break in and break up the fight. Who do you think you are? That's what Moses heard in his head. He heard that lie. And God was saying, they're going to listen to you. And Moses is like, no, you're not. No, they're not. You don't know me. Well, funny thing is God does know us, right? And that, those are the doubts that I think that plague all of us, right? Um, there's a lot of doubts, I think, uh, that hit us, especially in crisis. These moments like your people are being genocided. Why in the world are you allowing this, God? There, there's things in the world right now. I mean, some of you come from these countries that people have experienced genocide. Why in the world? God, this doesn't make sense. No. You're letting people die. You're letting them be in prison. You're letting them starve to death. This doesn't make sense, God. It doesn't make sense at all. Uh, Last summer, um, I was about ready to take a trip to the U.S., do some speaking, uh, raising some support for uh, the work we do. And um, it was in that time, a couple days before, uh, that we got a phone call from our family, um, my wife's brother and his wife, and their six-year-old niece, 
our six-year-old niece had died at daycare. Our six-month-old, sorry, six-month-old niece. God, what are you doing? I think you dropped off at daycare, and then hours later, she's dead. This isn't fair. Why? I, 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 I still struggle for an answer. I know Tammy and uh, her family, they're still struggling for answers. I, I remember wanting to visit her family and then just thinking, oh, I'm going to visit her family at a funeral. This is fun. <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> um, but this, this, as I wrestled with it myself, I got a lot of time by myself because Tammy and the kids were back here. And I remember getting ready to go to the funeral like, oh, God, what do I even say? I didn't see anything. <laughs> I was just there and cried with them. I remember walking down the aisle and seeing her little body there, the niece that we never met. I'm like, ugh. God, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I cried again. That's two for two. <laughs> um, uh, Moses, I don't know, maybe he even thought of family members, people that were going on his life that were experiencing death. Death. Maybe he sat 40 years in the desert thinking of all the death and chaos amongst his people. I'm sure he was wrecked in lots of different ways. There's different crises in your life that are probably wrecking you. Maybe you've had family members die like us. Maybe you have things in your life right now that there's relationships that are not well. Maybe it's something in your work that you've always wanted to see happen and it's just falling apart. Well, like the Lord has spoke to my heart, and hopefully the Lord will speak to all of our hearts, when I say, who do you think you are? He says, I am. I am. And at that point, we wrestle. We'll go down to the next slide. I want to kind of move forward a little bit here. Many people face this burning bush. Maybe this guy, I love this picture, actually. He walks into his backyard. There's a burning bush. <laughs> um, this is the struggle. Of the, the Bible is full of doubt. Doubt is, God's not scared of doubt. Abraham had doubt. Abraham messed up a lot of times in his doubt. Uh, Jacob had a lot of doubt. Jacob was constantly deceiving people because he was so fearful. He was doubtful. The Psalms are filled with people, again and again, psalmists expressing their doubt. God, something's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Doubt, God's not scared of doubt. Peter experienced doubt. He denied Jesus. He experienced the pain of that. Thomas is a great example in the upper room where he said, unless I touch the nails, nail holes in his hand, and unless I touch the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. I love the story of John the Baptist and his doubt. We think of John the Baptist as a superhero. Paved the way for Jesus. Did these great things in the desert. Ate locusts and anyway, wore camel hair. That's always interesting. But he paved the way, right? He's a super guy. And John is on death row. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, Are you the one who is to come or should we be waiting for someone else? John is in the midst of doubt. Now, I found it amazing how Jesus responded to that. Do you all remember? Did, did he castigate John and say, oh, John? No. He said, go tell him these different signs, basically, that show I'm the Messiah. And then he praised John for being the greatest of men. Doubt's not a problem with God. There's doubt that lives in our heart. If we just bring it out and bring it to the right person, bring it to Jesus, oh, it can be dealt with. 
if, if we did that, I think that's, that's what helped me a lot in my struggle with our, our niece passing away is, God, you, you lost your son. <laughs> you gave him up willingly even. I, don't under, I still don't get why you did that. I know it's because you love me. And though I don't understand this situation right now, I'm going to bring you my doubt. Because as we deal with that doubt, we're going to move down to the last section we see in Moses' life. Deal with the doubt. Moses is continuing to doubt. God continues to tell him some great things. Actually, God tells him things like, you know, there's this, I'm going to throw down this staff. It's going to become a snake. You're going to put your hand into your cloak, and you can bring it out as leprous. Okay, what kind of sign is that? That's really freaky. Um, <laughs> um, and the last thing he says is you can bring water out of the Nile and throw it on the ground, and it'll become like, like blood. Well, God is specifically saying things to the Egyptians as well, and maybe even the Israelites, because maybe they've started into the Nile worship. The Nile worship actually happened every year when the Nile was everything. It gave them all the stuff for their crops and everything. So the Egyptians relied on the Nile. The Nile was worshipped as a god. So if Moses took that water out and turned it into blood, God was saying, this is not God. I am God. And he did that again through all the plagues that we're going to see. Because the Exodus, that event, God defeated every single false god saying, I am, I am. And I, I think he can do that in our life. All these doubts that line themselves up, all these false things that we hold to, God lines them up one by one and says, no, not that. Stop holding on to that. Stop holding on to that. Get rid of that one. Because I love you. I am, I am. Please come, trust me. And so Moses, as we finish off this passage, he says, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past, since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. God's getting a little um, direct with him. Who made the man's mouth? Who made him mute? Who made him deaf? Who made him seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Go, I'll be with your mouth and tell you what to speak. And then Moses again says, Oh, Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> I love that. Because I, I would say that. I would skip all the pleasantries. In the Old Testament, they were very pleasant with God, very respectful. I'd be right away, God, send somebody else. <laughs> someone else is better. I mean, what, there's a, you got everybody. You got a long list of people in line that would be much better than me for this job. And um, Moses, and God's answer, he, he did, in a sense, like I think it's his righteous anger, of course. The anger of God was kindled against Moses. He said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's coming to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Could keep going there. But really, God is passionate about pursuing his plan. God knows what's best for us. He's not going to leave us in whatever thing we're holding on to. He has to bring us to a crisis. He has to bring us to difficult moments. Because he knows satisfaction Deep joy, deep life comes through him. I want to look at this last slide just briefly. One of my favorite uh, preachers, um, actually a guy I've gotten to meet personally because he's, he's near where I grew up, uh, is John Piper. Um, and he shares God's passion for his own glory. We often talk about living for God's glory, but how do you connect it to us? Like sometimes it's like, oh, God's the master, and we're not really involved in that. But these two statements really have helped me kind of grapple with that reality and how it relates to me. First off, that God's passion for his own glory, his passion for my joy, they're not at odds. Um, God wants all the world to know him because he's the only one really worth knowing, truly, right? So that, that's the good thing. And my joy is very wrapped up in who God is. It's not two different things. I used to think there's two different paths. My happiness and God's plan, they sometimes kind of interact, but most of the times they're separate. What makes me really happy and what God wants, this is kind of the, the thing I should be doing. But really, um, 
the second implication, again, gets to that. God is committed to my eternal and ever-increasing joy in him as he is to his own glory. That's really comforting. I can just get it all about my joy. My joy, God, this is the most important thing. Oh, your glory, that's right. I should be doing that over there. But really, God wants the two to be met together in this really beautiful unity. And so that, that's our burning bush moment, really. As it says in Isaiah 26.3, He keeps his heart in peace, whose, heart is fixed, whose mind is fixed on him, because he trusts in him. He wants incredible peace, joy, everything. That whenever things get broken, whenever things get pushed around and shoved, we still have peace. Now, it's not a false, fakey peace like, yes, everything's good. God is good all the time. Okay, I don't want to miss that saying. I'm sorry. Um, but there has to be a deeper sense of, oh, yes, God is good even when it stinks. <laughs> God is good even when my life is not going very well. Moses had that choice, didn't he? So let's, let's finish the passage, this dialogue he already had. That dialogue, I encourage you to study again. This is just a starting point. I hope this week you just go into this passage and wrestle with God through it. I have only given it a brief touch. And so let's go to Exodus 4.18 and, and finish up with that and a few questions to kind of leave you with. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they're still alive. That makes me laugh. Um, God said they're still alive, okay? God tells you they're alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Go in peace. Well, uh, let's close up for today. Um, what is your burning bush? Um, there may be so many different things going on in your life right now. And you're like, oh, I don't know what my burning bush is. I know for me, like, I went on one of the men's retreat. He brought some specific things to mind. There's some issues in my life sometimes. I want to control everything and how it's going. And if it doesn't go my way, you know, there, there's a little disappointment or even anger. I don't know what the sins you need to share with other people, because really, we're in this journey together. God put us in this building together. You're not here by mistake. You're not in Beijing by mistake. You're not in this church here by mistake. We're in this together. We can help each other through this. Who do you need to share it with? Are there doubts you need to divulge? Doubts often are this brick in our soul that won't let us get to God, but we're so scared of what everybody thinks of us that we're not willing to bring it out. But if we would just confide and pray for each other, we could get this in, in the open and wrestle through it together, even with other people. And what are the challenges you might need to step up to? Um, is there a relationship in your life? A lot of times for me, the relationships are the ones that are harder. Um, do I need to make some adjustments in my relationship with my spouse, with my kids? And ultimately, it's still, though, it's still depending on God. It's still letting him do it through us, because again, we can't do it. If there's a challenge brought to our attention, it's, hey, you're trying to do that. You can't do it. <laughs> It's, it's about me asking me for help. I want to live through you. I want to live through you and do it through you. So who are you going to talk about these challenges or things in your crisis of faith? That's kind of the last thing to leave you with. And I had a few things that I, I'd encourage you even as we finish up today. And I want to pray for us too. Uh, last, last three things here. If you are in that crisis of faith, go ahead and bring them out. That's fine. Oh, Sorry down okay just bring out the yeah if god are, if you're called in this crisis accept this invitation if you're in doubt just die depending on yourself you can't really figure it out and last that if god's calling you into this plan we can make the needed adjustments just like moses did um he was in a great challenge and a crisis of faith and 
wherever you're at, whatever your challenge is, whatever my challenge is, God wants to meet us in it. Uh, let me close this brief point in prayer. Father, I, um, I know that today um, you still speak through your word, Lord. That situation with Moses and with Israel, that seems just gut-wrenching to us. A genocide and a man who's been estranged from his people. You cared. And Lord, you care about us. You care about us so much you want to do something. You bring us to a crisis of faith. Lord, I pray as people continue to wrestle with this this week, really hopefully with friends around them, brothers and sisters around them, even in their own family, that you bring them to a sense of deep understanding of your love for them and that they can depend on you and you would live your lives through us in unique ways that even impact the greater world because you want all people to know this amazing God you are, not just us. Thanks that you provide Christ us for that. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.